0: I'm going to need readers today. I've got one signed up already. I did radio yesterday and uh, for Echo Zoe, and my voice was pretty shot. But here we are. I had one slide left, Peter preaching to the household of Cornelius. Who's got the mic? Could you open us in prayer, Eric?
1: Yes, Heavenly Father we thank you for this day and we thank you that we can gather here together and be free we thank you for our nation we thank you for your son Jesus Christ and we pray in in his name that you would bless this time bless each of us spiritually in Jesus name amen
0: amen so I've mentioned before it's amazing how big a chunk of Acts is devoted to the Peter and Cornelius episode. Because it goes on into chapter 11, which we'll get to. And that tells us something. Luke is a brilliant writer. He knows Greek very, very well. And he does everything with a purpose, as you probably know if you've been listening to me to preach Luke Acts over the last 10 years. And that he devoted this much attention to this episode, shows how important it is in the overall story of Luke X, of God bringing Messianic salvation to the Jews and to the Samaritans, and to the God, now here to the God-fearing Gentiles, and this is going to create a problem. It's going to have to be solved as we go through Acts. The problem is whether the really strict Jewish adherents, Jewish Christians in Jerusalem will ever accept Gentiles in the church. Now, in the next chapter, Acts 11, it's going to appear that they do, but then they have to have a conference about it in Acts 15. And if you want to really be shocked, go back, go ahead, I should say, read Acts 21 and see who it was that wanted Paul dead. It was actually Christians. James had to warn Paul that there were believers devoted to Moses and keeping the law who were going to attack Paul. And so he went to extraordinary means in Acts 21. Some people have contacted me and said, well, that proves that all believers have to keep the law. No, Paul went through the rite of purification and this and that so he could go into the temple to prove that he wasn't anti-Jewish to these believers who are zealous for the law. James warned him there's going to be a problem and there was there was a big riot it just went crazy and Paul ended up testifying before kings and so this was a huge issue and Luke Acts ends before the destruction of, the Jeru- of Jerusalem in 70 AD but as a matter of fact that may have been what it took to put an end to all this because they couldn't be temple Jews once there was no temple And so they were just going to gather here and there. Well, they could gather in Christian groups and uh, study teachings of Christ and his apostles. Okay, I'm going to want readers, look who made it. (laughs) Through the, if they made it, maybe Jesse can too. Luann, can you, Jessica can't make it. She's on music. How are you at singing? (laughs) <laughs> okay, so much for that idea we'll find We'll find somebody <laughs> all right so when i when I realized this, I remember back in seminary, I did some study on this, and when I realized what was going on, it's really shocking. I don't think most Christians realize how violently. The, some of the supposed Christians reacted against Paul, and he went to extraordinary measures, trying to calm him down couldn't do it. so this is the last slide here, and we didn't get to last time acts ten forty three i'll go ahead and read that one of him. All the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins forgiveness is thematic in luke acts and this key idea was emphasized in luke 4:18 i'm going to have eric the young eric read some verses luke 4:18 my voice is actually doing better Yesterday afternoon after I did radio I had almost no voice. But if I don't want that to keep happening, I'm gonna have readers. Who volunteers to read Luke 2447? Okay, Mike. Acts two thirty-eight. Actually, Mike, you do twenty-four forty seven. Eric, after you do Luke four eighteen, I'll have you do Acts two thirty eight. And then Mike. After you do 24:47 of Luke, I want you to do Acts 26:18. Okay, Luke 4:18. It's not on. It's not on.
2: The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed.
0: Right. Release to captives. The word release is from the Greek word aphasis. And release can also be translated forgiveness. So the reason we were captives is that we were living under God's wrath against our own sin. We were in bondage to sin. Jesus cited Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, to proclaim, release the captives. Jesus came to fulfill Isaiah 61, 1. And so, gospel preaching should include, often, if not every time, at least make it clear, forgiveness of sins people need forgiveness of sins. Okay, Luke 24:47, Mike.
3: Luke 24:47, in that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from J- Jerusalem.
0: Repentance for forgiveness of sins.
3: Key theme. And
0: what are we supposed to do? Proclaim.
3: Proclaim to all to, nations.
0: To preach repentance. For forgiveness of sins. I remember when I. Wrote a book about the seeker movement. And was debating that. Idea. That's one thing. That. The seeker pastors. Refused to do. They would not. Preach repentance. For forgiveness of sins. Claiming. That if we preach that. Well that would be works. And it would turn people off. So. Rather than preaching repentance or forgiveness of sins, they preached your best life now. How to be happy. How to find fulfillment. Yes, Brother Eric.
1: Um, Just, you know, to me this is a great example where the Greek, you've got that word, and I can't pronounce it, but there's forgiveness and release. Yes. And and, uh, we've run into people who talk to us about how they're just enslaved by sin. They don't use that term, but they won't become Christians. They won't abide in Christ because they believe that they have a particular sin that they cannot get away from. And I think maybe, maybe Christian uh, churches need to emphasize both forgiveness and release. How, Jesus, if you just trust in Christ, you can be released from that bondage.
0: Right. So those are both important things. Before somebody's converted, the only thing they know, and therefore the only thing they can imagine, is the way they are now. So if you're lost, and you are the way you are, and somebody says, okay, you've got to quit doing this, quit doing this, quit doing this, quit doing this, and be a good person, and you're thinking about the way you are, what are you going to think? I'm not cut out to be a Christian. Won't you think that? But I'll let you guys answer it or ladies and guys what actually happens though when you're converted? Who can answer that? Maybe Eric, if you want to address that.
1: Well, I might be getting I might not get all of the applications here, but what we tell people is just trust Jesus Christ. Trust him and you will be released from that bondage of course you're forgiven you're released and I see Eric the younger here has a comment too so
0: okay Eric the younger
2: all right I was uh, looking at the word repent I was thinking throughout the Bible you know Isaiah says if uh, you know if, you, if we have knowledge of him or you know then we'll have he'll justify many and I was thinking of the New Testament often it says just believe and you're saved and then I was reading through here and it says in Mark like repent and believe the gospel and I, I scrolled my little mouse here over the word repent, and one of the uh, meanings of the word it says is to change one's mind or purpose. Yes. And that helped me because I was thinking, how can we, you know, first come to God and drop all our sins? If that's because that's the idea I had of repentance is, I, you know, I got to stop sinning. But really, the idea is, you know, to change one's mind, you know, and to come to God, and so it really doesn't have to do with works, although they come.
3: I know we're on the, the repentance and forgiveness theme here, but <clears throat> you asked what happens when we're saved, I think of 1 Corinthians uh, 5.21, where we are new creatures in Christ, and the old things have passed away. You know, behold, new things have come. So uh, I don't know if that's applicable. Uh, part of what happens when we're, when we're saved, we are, there's new man. We're born again.
0: Amen
4: and I just had a conversation with somebody who's struggling with this whole idea of how do I not sin how do I please the Lord I'm a Christian but I still have you know sin in my life and people do think that suddenly it's just going to disappear or a mystical thing is going to happen and is is the correct term compatibilism where um, man has some responsibility and you have to be you know you have to be training yourself every day and walk it out you know, we're kind of like what Eric was saying. When a sin or a activity or just something that you know as a Christian is not honoring to the Lord, we have to train ourselves to stop and to know that that isn't honoring to the Lord anymore, and we have to do something different. You know, that's the whole part of repentance, is just that stop and turn from those things. And it doesn't happen in some mystical, overnight, feel-good experience. It's something that you have to set your mind to and work it out. Yeah. And you, you fall back, you move forward, you fall back, but it's all in the power of the Holy Spirit. Also, Amen. when you're in the Word.
0: Believe the promises of God. Believe the promises of God. We all stumble in many ways. But we have to believe what God said and keep clinging to him. And we need to admit that we need one another. A couple of us were talking before Sunday school about church history. And there were some people who thought that other Christians were the problem. So they scampered out. This was a couple thousand years ago. Scampered out into caves and tried to be holy all by themselves. And what happened wasn't that they became holy, they became crazy. They lost their minds. See, we need each other. We're all weak, and we all have some gifts and lack others. We need the body of Christ. We need encouragement. We need prayer. We need one another. And we need to be able to be honest about our own needs and believe that the body that God put us in is going to love us and care for us and help us so that we can grow in the grace and knowledge of God. We need one another so badly. Do you
2: have another verse? Yep. Uh, Acts two thirty was it eight. Thirty eight. thirty uh, eight thirty eight thirty eight and Peter said to them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit.
0: Okay, there's that word, Ephesus, release, release from sins. Acts twenty six eighteen.
3: I have a handwritten note in the margin here. Key verse in Luke-Acts narrative. Uh, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me.
0: I love that verse. Yeah. That is so key. And some of the theme in Acts twenty-six eighteen are found in the first two chapters of Luke. It's bookends, release, forgiveness, from Satan to God. God changes us. I've been writing about this and responding to emails. So much teaching has come in to evangelicalism that essentially denies Acts 26:18. People think everything is a process based on somebody's, either their new revelation, their deeper life idea, their integration with secular psychology, They anything but admitting that if I'm changed, it's only because of God's grace. And that he takes us from one kingdom into another. This means... Luann doesn't have to sing a solo. (laughs) Yeah. We were conscripting people. Let me read Exodus 34, 7. Who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, and yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Uh, We have a video about that when I preach through the Ten Commandments and just in case you haven't seen it or heard it what I show is that this third and fourth generation is not a propagation of sin, but a limitation on punishment. It's actually a limitation. I have an article about it. I know we have a video about it. So God is limiting punishment, but people think, oh, it's so bad. And they think they're under a generational curse, even as a Christian. But that's not true. Micah seven eighteen. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. These teachings about Christians being cursed and needing a revelator to find out what caused their curse to go back into their past, to come up with an utterance, to break curses. Boy, that, that kind of teaching's out there everywhere. I get emails from people from all over the world about that. One of the most common emails I get is people that want me to figure out what demons they have and to cast them out. They start reading this one article, and they don't read the whole article. And so they ask. And so this two-domain theology that I've been teaching has been a huge help. It's been a major breakthrough. I've been trying to help on this for 25 or 30 years since I got out of a group that was doing deliverance. And just trying to understand, understand. And then it came to me, teaches is your first job. There's two domains. And what you need is not... To learn how to interact with the spirits or how to break curses, you need to get out of the domain of curses, spirits, demons, and all problems and into the domain of Christ. And once you're in that domain, it doesn't mean there's no such thing as sin or that Satan can't even have any way to try to get us to believe lies, but that we're in the domain of Christ, we go to him. We go right to Christ. We don't go to a a man or woman of God who's good at getting revelations to tell us what spirit to rebuke. The people that do it that way are endless, endless, endless. I just got one the other day. Somebody from India or somewhere read my article. See, that, that got linked. Somehow I wrote an article about what was going on when I was in this Christian community and we were casting out demons. And I started with a story of this woman who went screaming. She just, the devil took her over. She went crazy, screaming, running, Aah! right at me. I just stood there the name of Jesus. And boom, she fell in a pile right in front of me. So I wrote that article and then started talking about what the issues were. Well, so then they don't read anymore in that story. So I get an email. They just read that and say, okay, that guy can help me. And so somebody the other day asked about it again. And I thought, you know, I'm going to think back about what happened. And do you know what happened? Well, she said something I I wouldn't want to take seriously. Well, she said the next day, Satan's afraid of you. She had come from another state to get help, she had that experience. The next day, she seemed fine, and she told me Satan's afraid of me. So I'm thinking, oh, look at how great I am, which is a bad idea. So I saw it as a temptation. But you know what? I don't think we ever heard from her again. I think she really did get saved and changed. We never heard from her again. It wasn't one of these things where every two weeks you need more ministry. That was it. She was changed, as far as I know. So I emailed back this lady from India and I said, well, you know, I never heard from her. I think God saved her. And that's how she got out of Satan's domain. It wasn't because I'm somebody great. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. So I hadn't even thought of that until recently. So I'm hearing from people all over the world. And the two domains make so much sense. Get out of that domain. There's two different eternal destinies. One for Satan's followers and another one for Christ's. Emergent is saying it all emerges into one big pot of porridge. And there is no two destinies, but only one. There's no judgment and so on. But that's not true. And so that big lie keeps people in Satan's domain. So it's amazing. I moved into that place in 1975. Spent five years in deliverance ministry and teaching so the thing kind of fell apart, got out of it in 1980. So from 1980 till 2017, I'm still learning what was going on. And looking back now, it's so clear. But if it's so clear, why did it take me 30 years? To... I'm a slow learner. But I don't know hardly anybody understood First John in regard to two-domain theology. Because in one case, it says if we say no we have no sin, that's not right, that's a lie. But in the other case, it says if we don't have sin, because they're forgiven. We got out of that realm into the realm of Christ. So the forgiveness of sins is release, not merely for some individual sin, although that's true there's a release of the entire person who's taken from one domain and put into another. And in this new domain called the kingdom of God, every single Christian is forgiven and always without end has direct access to God In the throne of grace. And he ever lives to make intercession for us. And we don't need a deliverance counselor to identify demons. We go to God in Christ. And if we are attacked, I've been quoting to all of these emails what Paul did in 2 Corinthians 12. He went to Christ. He had an angelos messenger of Satan. An angel of Satan giving him a thorn in the flesh so what did he do you break the curse rebuke the devil no he went to God so why do I have this well this is for your own good you've had you're going to get too full of yourself just trust me so he said okay he went on preaching the gospel thorn in the flesh or not yes God, let's talk about the big picture I don't mind spending the whole day this verse. I want to talk about the big picture. It's a miracle I have a voice. Yesterday afternoon you would never believe I could teach this class. I had no voice to speak of. Um, Release is a big strong word. Release. Luke 4.18 is thematic for Luke Acts. Okay. Luke 24.47 thematic. Acts 2.38 thematic. Acts 26, 18. These are the key passages in Luke Acts, two-volume work by one author. Release does mean forgiveness. Yes. And so if you have a certain besetting sin and you go to God and repent and ask for forgiveness, he forgives. He does forgive us. But in the big scheme of things, it's even more The woman in Luke 7 I keep talking about. Thematic. What's this all about? Who's this woman in Luke 7? Remember, Jesus goes to a religious banquet. And he's there and the host, who's the hotshot, looking down his nose at Jesus. He doesn't do the things that their culture would say you do when you bring in a, a rabbi like Jesus. He doesn't. Do the customary greeting, the kiss, the washing of the feet, all of that, nothing. Because he doesn't really like Jesus, but he had him over. Here's a woman that Jesus had seen before, who was immoral prostitute from the street. She comes into this thing, and the host says, what? What? Who is this wicked, cursed, horrid woman in my house, at my banquet, what is this? And then, to make it worse, she starts weeping on Jesus' feet and wiping the tears with her hair, and she's carrying on, and the host says, "This is no prophet this, this, this man isn't. From, this is awful, because he'd know who this was, and he would never let it, let it happen. And Jesus turns the whole thing around. This is in Luke seven, it says, "No." She's doing what you should have done, but you didn't. And Jesus announced to the woman that her sins were forgiven. She's a totally different person. Oh, yes. It's so beautiful. Absolutely love that story. It's thematic. It's just revealing what Luke acts is all about. The worst sinner, the most horrible failure who's fallen into every kind of bad thing that has no hope in this world can repent and come to Jesus and be released. Not just from a sin, but removed from the very domain of the ultimate sinner, Satan, the first sinner, and his rebellious angels and all of these demons removed out of that whole realm and brought in to the spiritual kingdom of God, which later will be literal, and be directly under Christ. And she, just read Luke 7, she goes right to Christ. And he declares the forgiveness of sins. She's released. Does that mean she's now sinless? No. But it means she's in a totally different domain she does not need one of these deliverance counselors getting personal revelations to start trying to break curses. See, the pagan way of thinking is everything she did for all those years created curses. One time I was going to teach at a phone ministry called Love Lines back in the early 80s. And this was after I had left the inner healing deliverance ministry And I was teaching about the biblical definition of root problems. And before I went in, there were some ladies talking that didn't know I was one of the teachers. And they were talking to each other, but I was standing there waiting for turn to go into the classroom. And one said, well, where are you at? She said, well, I finished pre-birth, and ages one and two, I'm about up to age three. And the other one said, well, I'm kind of up to age four. They were going to a revelator to determine what curses had come upon them and determining what happened when they were in the mother's womb. And they were going through point by point by point, of course by revelation, because most people can't remember what happened when they're one, when they're two, when they're three. And they were talking to each other about what age they'd gotten to in getting the curses broke. And this becomes a lifetime process. And they never get done. I've heard from people. So I'm listening to this. Of course, empathetic, yeah, because that's the kind of stuff we used to do. Although I didn't, never, I was never good at getting revelations, so I just taught the Bible. I'm glad I wasn't any good at it. I went in and started teaching them lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. That's all that's in the world. And it was from the Bible. And so one world view, you're in there doing this, doing this, doing this, doing this. You're into that demon. Break that curse. Try this, try that, try this. And you never get out. In the other world, Luke 7, Jesus takes you. He totally cleanses you. He forgives every sin. He breaks every curse, all instantaneously at conversion. Takes you out Puts you under him, and he takes care of you. Does that make sense? Go ahead and discuss uh, if you want to. Does it make sense? Anybody, anybody ever see the former version? You yeah? have? I'm not the only one. Where you got to get the curses broken and revelations and. Luann.
4: Well, I was just going to say that with the church that we had attended previously did Theophostics, which was the prior that you were talking about. And it was, you know, I could not believe how many people, I had never heard of it before, but they were always having to go back. It was such bondage, you know, these same people back over and over and over, never getting released. And, you know, it can't help, as you're talking about it, I keep thinking about election, you know, because none of this could be understandable to us unless the Lord opened our eyes and revealed those things to us.
0: Amen. Now Loanne, as long as you have the mic, look up Isaiah forty-three twenty-five.
1: Isaiah forty-three and then uh, was it twenty-five? Yes. Forty-three twenty-five. I'm almost there. Here we go. Um, I even I am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sins.
0: Look at, the, look at that. The Lord said, I wipe out your transgressions for my sake. So if the Lord, dear saints, wiped out your trans- transgressions, wiped them out through the blood of Jesus, and he did it for his own sake, should you therefore go find a prophet to identify curses from the past? If you do, what would you be saying to the Lord? No thanks, I don't believe what you did. I don't believe that you wiped out my transgressions. If he did it for his own sake, is he going to throw you back under all that because you missed some little point somewhere? No. Why is it such a battle to get Christians to believe what I'm saying right now? It's so clear. It's so liberating, but you know what it does? it puts all the counselors out of business. Oh yeah, you're not going to get 100 bucks an hour for very long to tell people it's all under the blood. I'm going to read Romans 325. I think we're out of any kind of a drought. It's raining out there. Romans 3:25 whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. Anybody else want to say anything or
2: over here. Something. I I was thinking, you know, about all the verses about Jesus saying, you know, in his Lord's Prayer, you know, ask for forgiveness and then other verses where it says confess and uh, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And then I was thinking about how Moses was similar to Christ in that he was a mediator and how the Israelites had sinned and God said, I'm going to wipe the nation out and make a new nation out of you. But Moses, you know, the people at that point, not that I can remember even repented, but Moses on their behalf, even to people that were still sinning said, you know, all oh, Lord, then they're going to say, you know, you brought him here to die. And so it was really not the people that saved themselves in any way, but it was still Moses, and Jesus is like Moses.
0: Well, Moses announced it. Jesus brought it.
2: Yeah, Yep. Okay. okay.
0: Moses was telling us what God intended to do. Jesus comes and does it. Hallelujah. Forgiveness of sins, thank you, Lord. Okay, finish that, and I'll go to the next PowerPoint. okay acts 1044 while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. In the Greek, Peter's words were all those believing in him when this happened. Some people believe. See, I'm so far ahead, I'm, I forget where we're supposed to be. I'm way ahead. It says in Acts 10.43, of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. So there's release, forgiveness, Means release, release from sin. God took the initiative to further the program laid out in Luke acts Luke 4.18 and Acts 1, 8. 4, 18. 418, we've talked about, but let me read it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. Jesus came to set people free. Acts eight says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now, this was exciting, they believed it, but what's happening is now Peter is actually preaching to God-fearing Gentiles. The Old Testament predicted that Messianic salvation will go all the way through the world, but did they ever really expect it? Didn't they just think if we have a restored Jerusalem and a high priest, and if we can get Jewish sovereignty, we'd have everything that we need but it's not true it's so hard to believe that God's word and God's gospel is for everybody and everyone I'm thankful that in America we have religious liberty but one of the things that people miss is this that There is religious liberty in our civil government is a good thing. Okay? But that doesn't imply that all religions are equally true. Nor does it imply that we shouldn't try to find out what's true. So I can agree in the civil government that people should have a right to freedom of religion as basis of a country. Does that make sense? Because that gives me freedom to preach and teach the gospel. But let's say you're living in a free country and you have a right to your religion and you have a right to your teaching, which hopefully we do. Does that mean that all teachings are equally valid? No. Does that mean that we shouldn't find out whether what we do believe is true or not. We can find that out. Let's do some apologetics. What's true? What's right? Let's just take some basic things. Was Jesus Christ literally raised from the dead on the third day? Yes or no? We believe it to be cold, sober truth. And Jesus predicted his own resurrection. And he was raised before many witnesses. So that's basic apologetics. Now, if we're saying that and preaching that, which I do, am I saying that I think the government should take that idea and put a gun to everybody's head and demand that they become Christian? No, I'm not saying that. Some times that kind of thing has happened. But... Does a gun to your head save your soul? What does? Faith, God's grace through the gospel. So I'm thankful for a country where we're free to preach. But I'm not demanding that Christians take control of the government in such a way to force everybody to be a Christian against their will that won 't save any soul. what we want is the freedom to preach the gospel without hindrance that 's all we want. So far, we have that, and I thank God for it yes yes yes
5: i don 't know if anybody had seen this maybe on YouTube or the internet or something, but uh, Bernie Sanders was at some confirmation hearing and he was, I don't even know the guy's name that he was interviewing or questioning. This guy was a Christian and he'd written something back a few years ago or something for Wheaton College or something. And uh, he condemned, you know, some condemnation of the Islamic faith and stuff like that. And, And Bernie Sanders was just pestering this guy with questions and saying, you know, do you mean to believe that you know that that this that you condemn the muslim faith and and he was he was trying to he was being as nice as he could this guy this christian guy and he was was proclaiming that you know his his faith determined you know said that that christ was the way to heaven and bernie sanders was just you guys got to go take a look I at that i saw one. that on That's the one. news that was that is to me is what's happening in this country is that you know, there's freedom of religion, but if you're a Christian, I mean, a true Christian, you know, you're not welcome here. You're we not don't welcome. Want you.
0: Yeah, we want nothing but pagans.
5: Yeah, it was. Uh, very, I saw that. Very revealing. The guy
0: was good.
5: Yeah, he but was they good. were
0: trying to say, we believe in freedom and religion in America, but if you're a born-again Christian, you're not allowed to serve in government.
5: Right, and we're all condemned without forgiveness of sins. And that's what what you're talking about today.
0: Yes. So that's a threat to our religious liberty. Anybody else on that point? I saw that one day. I saw that. Go ahead.
1: I didn't see that one, but uh, yesterday I went to a, uh, it was a speaking event at the state capitol, put on by a group called Act for America, and they were speaking and educating people about Sharia, which is Muslim law, and Sharia, which I'm familiar with, denies all freedom of religion, and people don't want to come out and say that. And, but we could not go in to the state capitol because our way was blocked by a bunch of people that had signs that said peace and love and tolerance, okay? And they were willing to beat up anyone that tried to go in and there were about thirty police officers and I went up and I said, I must be in the wrong place. I'm trying to go to a seminar. And they said, Well, because of these peace and love advocates and your safety, we want you to go a block away, walk into this other building, and then you take you get down to the sub basement and then you go through a tunnel. Then you go up to the parking ramp. You go up to the second level of the parking ramp, or the first level, and then you go through another corridor, and then you can get in to the state capitol and attend your event, okay? Now, at that event, there were people from the Peace and Love and uh, Tolerance group taking our pictures with their cell phones so that then they can put that out on the Internet, okay? Okay? And then at the end of the event, the police said to us, we want all of you to gather here in a circle and huddle together because there has been a security incident out in front. The people with their peace and love and tolerance signs apparently roughed up some, some of the seminar attendees who wanted to come and learn about Sharia law, about female genital mutilation, and how this is incompatible with american law and so we had to then be escorted in small groups through the tunnels over to the next building through the parking ramp okay and then as i walked out to go to my car there were people that would that i don't know i mean i just avoided them okay so this is the level of dialogue we have some sometimes here we need to have courage to stand up for yes. truth and and, to, and for and we believe in tolerance we believe in the freedom of an individual conscience as Christians and, and that needs to be uh,
0: preached well Diane recorded the news and two ladies from our church were in the front row on this hearing about Sharia law two ladies from here got in yes so God bless them
4: Well, and I was just going to add with that, too. It's just, you know, the churches are so inadequately preparing people. I mean, you know, the discernment is nil. And I think of um, a family member who an organization called Tapestry wanted to have an imam come into their church and talk to the ladies about it. And then, you know, and she was trying to speak to the women about, you know, what's wrong with that. She goes back to her own church, and here they had a guest come in and was kind of doing the same. Just, you know, we need to just kumbaya and work together. And none of them, or I shouldn't even say that because I don't know that. But, you know, the discernment is so minimal that they don't even understand uh, Islam or their own religion enough to be having these kind of dialogues.
0: Amen. Well... We need to be bold in the gospel. Acts 10.45 All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. They thought even after all of Jesus' teaching, the Great Commission, Acts 1.8, even the incident of the Ethiopian eunuch, remember, he went to his own country, Uh, all the things that already happened, the Samaritans, the teaching of Jesus, they still couldn't readily get their minds around the idea that God is going to save Gentiles and add them to the church, and we're all going to be one in Christ. They have a hard time getting that. They're amazed. Amazed is existemi, and it's a common reaction in Luke Acts to the mighty deeds of God. Yes.
3: Uh, Can you define they for us? I assume you mean Jews and apostles, possibly.
0: Oh, the ones who were amazed. Well, these were. Who is they? All the circumcised believers would be Jewish Christians who came with Peter. The ones who received it were God-fearing Gentiles from the household of Cornelius. Okay, that's the two groups. God-fearing Gentiles who are converted and the Jewish believers that went with Peter.
3: Okay, but you said uh, they didn't understand yet that really the uh, invitation was broader who's they yeah the apostles okay that's what i wanted to know thank you
0: i mean jesus told them that and things happened and go all the way back to luke look at the demoniac who was converted and sent back to his own country remember that one That was in luke the gathering so everything from the old testament scriptures to what God already did, is telling them, God's going to save people you don't expect. God's going to save sinners. God's going to save Gentiles. God's going to do a mighty work. God's going to fulfill prophecy. But when it happens, they're going, what? We're amazed. How can these people come to Christ? Well, they did. We don't know who God's going to convert. So thank you, dear evangelists here Who go out and preach the gospel. To everybody. You're highly appreciated. You never know. You do not know. So amazes. Existemi. The Gentiles. Were recipients. Of God's promised gift. Luke 24 49. Quote. And behold. I am sending forth. The promise of my Father upon you, but you shall stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The ones clothed with power become the great witnesses. We know Acts 1-8. There's so many passages. Eric, young Eric, could you go to Acts 8, 9, and 11? Acts 8, 9, and 11.
2: Okay, so uh, <clears throat> it says, But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and, was, and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with magic.
0: Okay, so the pagan... Amazed the people with magic. God amazed people with his power to forgive sinners. Now, what happened with that magician is he's exposed for trying to buy the gift of God. Remember? He got in trouble. So, you and I, dear fellow Christians, do not know who God's going to save. We have no idea. And therefore, we preach the gospel. To all.
4: I'm going to quote,
0: as we're running out of time, Joel 2, 28-29. To prove this is the Old Testament prophecy. Joel 2:28, And it will come about after this, that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions, even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit on those days. That's what happens in Acts. Some people call this the Gentile Pentecost. The Gentile Pentecost. Dr. Paul Hill says this, as we're just about out of time here. Always the demonstration of the spirit serves a single purpose. To show that the advance in witness comes directly from God is totally due to divine leading. This was especially important in this instance. Peter had already shown his own hesitancy to reach out to Gentiles. More conservative elements in Jerusalem would be even more reluctant. Only an undeniable demonstration of divine power could overrule all objections. And God provided precisely that in Cornelius' house. This was how God convinced the apostles of Jesus Christ to believe that God would say Gentiles.
2: I, had, uh, I was going to say there's one other verse. Hopefully I didn't lose it here. Oh, yeah. It's uh, right at Simon. It says, even Simon himself believed after being baptized. Oh, no. I was trying to find the one where he's amazed. Oh, and seeing the signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. And I was just thinking about how Isaiah said, you know, you've been my witnesses. You know, who, who like me, can predict the future? You make your case. You know, bring it before me. It's, yeah. you know, God versus the other gods. He shows himself.
0: Yes. So God demonstrates that anybody can be saved if they believe. Must be true, because you and I are here. Anybody here have so much going for them that God was forced to accept you? I don't hear any amens. Anybody here a sinner saved by grace? Amen. I guess we're all in the same boat. Let's close the prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your gracious power through the gospel. And we pray that as we go and hear the sermon today that we'd grow in your grace and knowledge. Thank you for caring about us and helping us in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.